0: from Happy Dog Training and welcome to another episode of Dog Talk. Today is another interview episode. I'm talking with biologist Carl Persson, whose company Anomalia Herpetofauna is one of the top rattlesnake avoidance training companies in California and currently also branching out into Texas and uh, the East Coast. So very successful and very effective. The way Carl does rattlesnake avoidance training is something you want to hear something interesting for you to to take a look at and explore. And we had a wide-ranging conversation. We went about all the different types of rattlesnakes, Carl's background, obviously, and his biology background, how he got into the whole game. Then um, the different types of rattlesnakes, i said, a rattlesnake bites, what to do, what not to do, the venom, the effect of the different types of venom, and also the applications in the medical field, which are way broader than I was aware of. We're going to talk about... Um, how much time you have if something like that happens to you out on the trail, some things you can do and some things you shouldn't do if it happens to you. And then obviously rattlesnake vaccines, which is also an important topic, and rattlesnake avoidance training. We're going to briefly touch on the lunacy of reinforcement-only based (laughs) rattlesnake avoidance training. I would not trust the life of my dog with that. And Carl has some interesting stories around this. But then we're talking about real rattlesnake avoidance training and how we actually make that reliable. And Carl has trained all my dogs for over 10 years. I've taken my personal dogs to him for rattlesnake avoidance training. And I've seen how reliable and how how sophisticated the training process that Carl and his team go through is. So it's the only company I recommend here in California. It's the company I send everybody to. And... There's several articles on my website, which we're going to put in the show notes, and also use on my newsletter once or twice a year, because it's uh, it's important to get your your dogs protected against rattlesnake bites by teaching them to stay away from them. So, without further ado, my conversation with Carl Person.
1: Hi, um, glad to be here. Um, thanks for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. So, tell us about. Yeah. Your company and how you train rattlesnakes and how you got into it
1: okay well animalia herpetofauna was originally developed because i do a lot of reptile shows all over the country so i was working for a lady i met her um just brief background i had never had a dog in my life okay (laughs) but i've had reptiles especially rattlesnakes forever and so she wanted to do a rattlesnake avoidance training on santa catalina island but the biologist there would not allow her to bring mainland snakes onto the island. And so I had permits for some that I had collected on the island at Loma Linda university. And so she called me up to see if I would do it. And I thought, Oh, you know, why not make a quick 300 bucks? What? Okay. So I went over there and I watched it and I was thinking to myself, I was watching it. I was thinking this can't work. No way. This is not working. I can't. So, anyways, I did that and I didn't hear from her for a, quite a while. The following March, she calls me up or April, I can't remember exactly, and says, Hey, you know, the guy that was doing my snakes quit. You think you can help me and bring someone with you? So, Jared, my friend at the lab, and I went down there and we worked at a golf course with her. And, you know, when it was all said and done, we kind of were both in agreement like, come on, that, that, that just couldn't have worked. There's no way. Uh, one thing that she was doing is using old shed skins. Well, when a snake sheds, within a few hours, most of the aromatic molecules are gone. So basically, you have keratin laying there. Okay, there'll be a little bit of snake smell, but it wanes as time goes on. And these skins were probably two years old because they're all like broken up, rotted. And the other thing she did was she'd have a little fan and have uh a snake behind it to blow scent for her scent station, which was kind of weird. And then, of course, she concentrated on the sound. And so after helping her out for a while, I said to her, I said, you know, I think we can design a lot better course because, you know, uh, I, I just don't think we're tapping into their vomeronasal nasal system. And when I said that to her, she didn't know what it was. And I realized, now she was a great dog trainer, don't get me wrong, she trained them to ring a bell to go outside or all kinds of crazy stuff, stop at the curb, you know, everything. And they were very successful with that. But when it came to this, this is more of a physiological thing that you're looking for. And then I realized most dog trainers probably don't know what a vomeronasal system is or how it works. And basically what goes on is your dog breathes in through the front, exhales through a minute fractional go right to the olfactory nerve. So if they like something or dislike something, they'll know right away. And so when they breathe out, they breathe out through those side slits, creates turbulence. And then they do a straight up and down lick. Now they have direction, identification, time. They can tell whether it was here an hour ago or it's here right now. Um, they get all of this information instantaneously with that. And the Jacobson's organs, two fluid filled cavities on the roof of their mouth goes right to the brain. It's mm-hmm. The most effective part and everything in a dog's world comes through their nose. So we couldn't understand why are we concentrating on this other stuff? There's another problem with the sound. Rattlesnakes like most venomous snakes or snakes in general will freeze when you approach them
0: not mm-hmm. start rattling right
1: away, but freeze, hoping you will walk by and leave them alone, not even notice them. We call that procripsis. Mm-hmm. And so the sound really doesn't mean that much and sight. Well, if the dog's running through a field, by the time they see it and hear it, they probably stepped on it and already got bit. So what you want right. to do is tap into that vulnerable nasal system and you want to build distance. So That's the course that we started to develop and we've improved it ever since. And it's very, very effective. And in fact, most dogs that we get that have done this before, with two exceptions, most of the dogs that we've done this, that have done it with other uh, people, they don't detect the scent station. Some of them don't even detect the snake. With ours, you do it twice, you're good for life. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it. It was an accident.
0: Well, that that's how the best things happen sometimes, you know. But so it's my personal personal anecdote. I mean, you've trained all of my dogs over the years for like I've been known you for like ten years now or longer, right? So we, we train a lot of my dogs, and one one of uh, them was Nubia, uh, who I still have. When I had her out. And you, you I mean you demonstrated at the end as a snake lying in the grass like a tiny little snake and it's muzzled and my dog walked around or ran around, didn't didn't approach it. So like, yeah, it worked. But then when your um when your assistant or your son, I forgot I forgot who it was, but it picked up the snake and put it in this container with some sand where it was in, and in this process spilled a little bit of sand on the grass in that area where it was. Um, actually not very. it was lying, but like on the way out, it spilled a bit of sand. And then I know Biba and Dana, we, we talked a little bit. I had Nubia on the leash, we walked out and I just walked like past this. She would have walked straight over the sand where the snake had to in and she wouldn't do it. She's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going near this sand. Well, it was just the sand there, like the sand grains. Well, I think the snake was before, previously and she still picked up on it. So 100% works. I've, I've seen it with all my dogs. And this and, little,
1: and the trick to that is, is that, as you know, we do five to seven scent stations. Yeah. Each one of those has less and it's more and more sand, less and less substrate from the cages. Yeah. So we're building distance at the same time. And then yeah. the baby at the end, the dog can't see that thing. And so when they stop and do that lick, you know, you got them. And so the following year, we always do it in reverse. We do the, we'll do the uh, scent first, then the baby, and that's it. And usually we have one guy had a Basinji, which is actually a land race Mm -hmm. uh, rather than a breed. And he brought it back the third time. I told him, I said, you don't need to. He couldn't get the dog out of the car. And I told him, I, I said, you know, you spent that money for, he goes, no, it was worth the money to see that.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So what was actually was when your first time you told me the story, what was surprising to me is that not everybody trains it through Scent Because we train so much through scent. We do service dogs here and a lot of that <laughs> stuff is through scent blood pressure, heart rate, uh, blood sugar, whatever, even, even seizure stuff is trained through scent. Um, I've taken cancer, how to detect cancer, um, because you can't identify, you can't isolate the scent. So that's kind of interesting. You have to train differentials. That's done through scent and excellent breath condensate. Obviously, police, military application, drugs and explosives and all that stuff is done through scent. So a lot of the, and tracking and sport, right? So a lot of the really cool stuff is done through scent and dogs' noses are just incredible. So I was surprised that it was not the standard thing that, that you are kind of unique in the way around here anyways that who does it this way you would expect everybody to work that way but clearly not so that no that, what
1: that's your the part. standard the standard is they introduce the dog to a big snake then a scent station then a sound station and then they do a recall they'll have the snake in between you and the uh, between the dog and the person and call the yes. dog well we do the recall too the only difference is is The dog can't see the snake because it's so small. We don't care if it sees it. We don't care if it hears it. We want the dog to pick up from about 10 feet. So the first year, we usually get four or five feet. The second year, we usually achieve our goal of 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah, We're not going to go into who this other trainer was just for so many reasons. But I know who it is. And I went there later after you had stopped working with her because a client of mine wanted, had actually hired her independently for some rattlesnake right. just for that. And she was afraid of snakes herself. So she asked me to come with her and I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll handle your dog. And I saw what, what was going on there. And the dog just ran straight over the snake at the end. It's like we had to do this again. And he ran over the snake twice in a row. Like, okay, <laughs> it doesn't look like he's picking up on that. So I, I I've seen the after after you left um how, how that uh, continued
1: and, uh, yeah uh, and the so. the whole issue is is that she learned it from you know and people learn it from each other but they've learned it wrong they're not thinking yeah. about yeah. what's going on and like you brought up I mean the whole dog's world comes through his nose you know so what are they doing <laughs> you know.
0: And this is just like a quick reference for everybody who wants to learn more. There is a wonderful TED talk from Andrea Horowitz, Alexandra, sorry, Alexandra Horowitz. It's a TED talk. It's on YouTube. And she made this animation, this really cool video about how a dog's nose works, and how powerful it is, and tons of examples. So it's really cute, cute animation to watch. And it's very educational in terms of understanding just the power of, of scent for a dog better. It's just incredible what they can do um, scent-wise. So, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So um, Let's talk about uh, rattlesnakes more in general. So what kind of rattlesnakes do we have crawling around here in, the, in California and then in the rest of the United States and what are the different toxins yeah. we're dealing
1: with? So uh, for rattlesnakes and for people back east and in, in the central part, you have copperheads, cottonmouths, and coral snakes. Coral mm-hmm. snakes, you'd really have to work at it to get bit by. So no one trains for that, but So for rattlesnakes in Southern California, you have six species. You have the Southern Pacific, you have the um, Red Diamond, the Southwestern Speckled, Panamint rattlesnake, Sidewinder, Mojave. And then a little farther north, you have the uh, Northern Pacific, up in like north of uh, Ventura. So their venoms vary tremendously. And it's the same throughout the United States. Uh, if you're in the eastern United States, you'll have the canebrake timber rattlesnake thing. Well, the ones in um, Carolinas and North Florida have a powerful neurotoxins. The ones in central Georgia have a really weak venom. So it rattlesnake venom is really variable. In Southern California, the most medically significant is the Southern Pacific. Because just like the canebrake that I mentioned, depending on where you are, <clears throat> they have very different venom well, on right. top of San, uh, Mount San Jacinto. You have a powerful neurotoxin in mm-hmm. Felin area. You have a thing that causes micro blood clots that they have to deal with. You know, so it just varies from place to place. So fortunately, the anti-venoms we have, there's two of them. Um, Crofab and anti-vitamin. They work on all North American pit vipers. So fortunately, we're in good shape with that. Um, so both of work on all bites. Yes. Um, now, if you're bitten by a neurotoxic snake, like a Mojave or a, a midget faded rattlesnake or one of the canebrakes, brakes, crowfab's the way to fly. It's really effective on neurotoxins. If you get bitten by some of the others that are more... Uh, Hemorrhagic, you're better off with anti and the reason is the molecules are bigger, so it stays in the blood longer. The problem with CroFab is it, some of it gets lost in your muscle tissue and stuff, and it takes a tremendous amount of it. But not on the neurotoxins, for whatever reason, it is super, super effective on that. So you know, anywhere you are in the United States, you should just call nine one one if you get bitten. And, you know, you've read stuff about tourniquets, ice, cutting. The problem with all that stuff, it was written in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it all makes everything much worse. And a good example of that would be, say you get bitten on the hand and you make little cuts and you start trying to suck venom out. Mm -hmm. Well, most snakes have a thing that acts like a meat cleaver to chop your tissue up so the other molecules can get in and do their job. So, uh, women use hyaluronic acid to tighten their skin. These guys have hyaluronidase, which cuts things up. And so you make those little cuts, you try and suck. You're probably only getting some of your own lymph tissue or something where, um, and then later few hours later, when your hands and arm are three times their normal size, black and blue, no blood flow, you have these big gaping holes, you end up inviting gangrene, so you could end up losing body parts. So unless you're allergic to the venom, which means you've either been bitten before, or you work with them and developed an allergy, because if you have no exposure, you can't be allergic. So you have plenty of time to get to the hospital. You get there as soon as you can, get the anti-venom, and you're good to go. So,
0: so how long does uh does a human being have like
1: a uh, regular size human well you know is- you, if yeah. it's a uh, like uh some of the powerful nerve toxins mm-hmm. those you have less time but you're not going to die in 15 minutes or something you know what i'm saying you could call nine one one or get to the hospital and they'll get the anti-venom to you and you, you're going to be okay mm-hmm. you know so um if it's one of the hemorrhagic type snakes, you have eight to 10 hours at least. Oh
0: wow, well, okay. So, so how long was the end of the neurotoxin snake? You have like a couple of hours, two, three hours or something like that? Yeah,
1: probably. Um, you know, like the Mojave mm-hmm. in California, the Midget Faded in Utah, and of course the Cane in North Florida and the Carolinas, those, you know, those have very powerful nerve toxins, mm-hmm. but um, so you, you need to get to the hospital fairly quick, but yeah. boy, that antivenom works on that like gold.
0: So what about dogs? So how long do they have? I mean, obviously, okay. it depends on the size of the dog, I guess, but like I say, a 50-pound dog, how long
1: Okay. Now, most dogs, of course, are going to be bitten in the face because they put their nose in a hole or something like that. Yeah. The big issue with that is now dogs, keep in mind, their muscle is much denser than ours. Mm -hmm. And so that actually protects them. It gives them some extra time. The problem is they tend to get bit on the face. And even though they probably don't get much venom because they have a pretty bony nose and -hmm. the fangs aren't going through the bone. um, But the problem is, is the swelling. Okay. So breathing could become an issue. Mm -hmm. Now there's some vets that don't like it, but others do is uh, Benadryl. So, mm-hmm. and they say one milligram per pound, I believe it is. Um, so you should always consult with your veterinarian, but Benadryl at least keep the swelling down so your dog can breathe. And that's usually the worst part of it. Um, <clears throat> As far as a 50 pound dog getting bit in the leg or something, you can carry him out and get him to the vet within a couple hours or so. He's going to be fine. Okay, all right.
0: All right. Yeah, I heard I heard Benadryl from uh, so many different angles. I heard it from vets. I heard it from other snake trainers I met over the years. I've I've heard it from so many different people. So Benadryl works. It's, it's yeah, experience. and
1: it actually helps uh, neutralize some parts of certain snake venoms, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. There was a study out on that that oh. was fairly recent. Yep. Yeah. So Benadryl is not a bad thing to have. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I always tell people, you know, if you're gonna do it, consult with your vet. Um, yeah, so, you know, don't take my advice for it. I'm not a veterinarian.
0: <laughs> no, no. You can always talk to your vet, no matter what anybody says. But um, yeah, but that's their field, right? As long as it's not like nutritional training,
1: <laughs> right, right. Like
0: anatomical stuff like that, and absolutely, no, no question. Right. Um, right. Oh, that's good to know. So you you mentioned before that there's also medical applications for the venom. So it's not just all bad and bad for us. There's actually things we can do with it that is good for us. So let's maybe talk about that for a moment. Doesn't apply to like you and I in everyday life, but it's certainly interesting.
1: Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be very surprised how many people. So in 1981, the first ever venom-derived medicine came out, called Captopril. It's used for congestive heart failure diabetic kidney failure, and hypertension. Has been used since 1981 worldwide, millions upon millions of people depend on that drug to stay alive. Comes from the Lancehead Viper in South America. And because venom is so complex, they had to really figure out what exact part of the molecule is doing what exactly in the body. Well, because they had to be so specific It revolutionized the way all pharmaceuticals are made to this day. So they're a little bit safer now because they're more targeted and more specific. Millions Mm -hmm. of more lives saved indirectly. If you know someone that gets those uh, DVT blood clots in their legs, very painful, probably take an Echostatin from the Sawscale Viper in the Middle East. Mm. Um, Worldwide, breast cancer has become epidemic. Well, it turns out that a part of the venom in the copperhead from the eastern United States prevents the cells from adhering to the body's matrix so the tumor dies. Pretty valuable. So once they get that refined, wow. So I have just mentioned three out of hundreds. There's diagnostic tools that come from snake venoms for, you know, different ailments. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So anytime you wipe something like this out, really, you're probably only hurting yourself. Do people yeah. die from snake bite each year? Yes. But the odds are in our favor, like millions and millions to one, just on one drug, let alone the hundreds. Yeah. So, yeah. That's super
0: interesting. I didn't know yeah. it was that I think of maybe like, so, <laughs> it's just in some drug development here and there, but that's pretty, some pretty, pretty major. Oh,
1: no, they are. Uh, with the cobra they're looking at an immunosuppressor for multiple sclerosis um, you have um, integralin is used for unstable angina it's another heart condition integralin from the pygmy rattlesnake in florida um, so there's a blood clotting test that come from the uh, another lancehead viper in south america there's just all kinds of stuff out there and I did a study and was part of a study and we tested for uh, brain injury reduction. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about brain injury, like surgery and stuff, one or two percent makes a huge difference because your brain's encased in your skull. So just one percent could be a real problem. Well, we used Southern Pacific venom and it worked. It reduced the swelling by about two percent. So, Hmm. um, that study is actually listed on my website, but so there's, there's a whole plethora of different studies on venom to medicine and the more, yeah. So the more we learn about it, the, you know, the more we work with the different venoms, fractioning them up, seeing what they do, the more we get out of it.
0: Yeah. And obviously your website will be listed in the show notes and any yeah. stuff you can dig up for related to what we're talking about. I'll also put them in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to read a little bit more. So let's say you're out on a trail and it's going to be five hours away from your car with your dog and one of you gets bitten by a rattlesnake. What's And you have no idea what it is at this point. You don't know what snake it is, um, what kind of toxin you probably have. People won't remember either. What's your best bet of survival at this point?
1: Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll have a cell phone, you mm-hmm. know, uh, if you're a five hour hike, that's long, but if it's a, if it's not a Mojave or a Southern Pacific or, or a Mojave or a uh, midget faded or that came mm-hmm. you know, I'd start making my way out until I had cell signal, um, you know, because you got. You can't just lay there. You know? Yeah, no,
0: obviously. So and then, would you continue to walk, or would you rather not? The moment you have signal, and just like have the helicopter lift you out. Oh yeah, if
1: you have cell phone signal, you're better off just to rest, stay still, okay. um, because you okay. don't want to add to it.
0: Yeah, don't want your metabolism to pump it through your whole body if you can
1: avoid that. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Um, same. Uh, now, assuming- if it's on your hand, you could hold your hand like a little above your heart, and that'll yeah. help.
0: Okay. And I'm assuming it's the same for your dog. Um, If you can carry them, if not, walk out slowly, call for help if possible. Yeah. As
1: soon as you can get that cell signal.
0: And uh,
1: Benadryl at that point. um, Yeah. Well, Benadryl, because it's an antihistamine. So your body venom will work kind of against you in two ways. First of all, all the constituents in venom, most of them are found naturally in your body. Mm -hmm. This, This is an overdose. Okay. Um, of course, they have little side chains that do different things that make it more toxic, obviously. But the yeah. other thing uh-huh. your body's going to do is it's going to throw histamines up there because the heat helps to, you know, fight bacteria or whatever it happens to be. That's why you get that red swelling. It's histamines and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> if you take an antihistamine, you're going to calm things down. So, you know, and if you have, like, if you get bitten on the hand, if you have any kind of jewelry, take it off immediately. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. once you start to swell, it's not coming off and it could be a disaster. Yeah. It
0: could, yeah, it could lose your finger. Or, like that,
1: or Yeah. If you're wearing shoes, loosen your shoelaces so that you can yeah. get your foot out of your shoe.
0: Mm.
1: So I, I've seen
0: pictures in the past, um, where somebody was bitten by a uh, snake with hemotoxin and. Um, I think mean, they tied it off, or they trying to, and then they just, just the venom ate away at the skin and was like all gone. So, how long <clears throat> does something it's like that take before you have like really lost your uh, usage of your arm and has to be amputated? Um, what what's the time frame to?
1: Well, here's here's the deal. With most of those hemorrhagic type venoms, you're gonna have swelling, you're gonna have necrosis, you know, rot. Um, you're gonna have that. Mm-hmm. And um so the quicker you get that anti-venom, the less damage the venom's gonna do. But you will have some um some scars from it for sure. It's not an yep. if, it's a you will. And <clears throat> so of course, the quicker you can get anti-venom, the less damage it does. And yep. in extreme cases, like an eastern diamondback or something in Florida that's you know four feet long. Most mm-hmm. people there, when they get bitten, they ended up on dialysis because of a thing we call it rhabdomyolysis. What it is, is the venom is breaking down so much proteins and stuff, your liver and kidneys cannot keep up with it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. hopefully oh, no. get, get the yeah. antivenom as quick as possible and you'll be all right. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't get bit by rattlesnake. So which brings us to rattlesnake vaccines and avoidance training in comparison. But let's start with the vaccines and then we go into training. Obviously, that's what you do. Yeah,
1: and this okay. is a good place to put the vaccine talk in. So now there are studies out there that show that it's not very effective, but I want to tell you something about vaccines, okay? Let's back this up a minute. If rattlesnake vaccines or venomous snake vaccines could be made, We would have had them for humans a long time ago, okay? Uh, The way that you have to make anti-venom is you are constantly injecting small amounts into the sheep if it's in New Zealand or horses in Central America or wherever you happen to be doing. So you have equine or bovine, either one. Um, So anyways, um, you constantly keep injecting the venom, constant, to keep the immunity up. If you stop, then that immunity drops off and then they can't get the immunoglobulins out of the sheep or whatever they're using. So the idea of giving your dog one of these vaccines and then maybe going back 30 days later for a booster and then not doing it again till the next year. Well, the study showed that it was originally developed for horses, by the way, but the study shows that one third of the horses had no clinical response to it. It was worthless. Yeah. One third, it was after 30 days, nothing. And the other third, maybe a few weeks lo- longer. I, I can't remember the exact But in other words, it's not going to happen. But yeah. there is one yeah. bad side effect that can happen. And so a lot of vets have stopped giving it. They mm. can, when you inject that venom, even though it's denatured, it, could, it still sometimes causes a granuloma. And it can get infected and bad things can happen. I've had clients tell me that they got it for one of their dogs one time and the dog ended up really messed up and ended up dying. So, you know, where there are complicating factors, I, I'm not sure, but um, rattlesnake avoidance training, you're using the, that your dog's natural abilities to stay out of danger and to warn you. Mm-hmm. right? You start yeah, to see uh, that behavior, you're going to be like, whoa, what's going on?
0: Yeah. But, but we we'll circle back one more time. I think what you said in the very beginning on the vaccine, I think that is probably the most important thing to just keep in mind. If that actually worked, we would have them for humans. and We, we would, would have
1: it worldwide.
0: and We would give it to everybody who is in areas like here in Southern California, places where these rattlesnakes crawling everywhere. So if it yeah. wasn't a thing that was working, we would give it to ourselves. So
1: it's- exactly. But, you know, that's that's the key. And that's what I always bring up to people. And on my site, there's a little thing, and I cite the two studies that were done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can make up your own mind. In Southern California, you have the Southern Pacific rattlesnakes. Well, yep. the vaccine's made only with Western diamondback rattlesnake venom. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. if it was to work a little bit a lot of people say, "Oh, give me extra time." No, it won't. Um, even if it was, it would only be for that. It's not going to help with the Mojave. It's not going to help with the canebrake. It's not going to help with anything. Yeah. So.
0: And, and that yeah. effect, you can literally get the Benadryl. So if it's not really um, sort, of, sort of, uh, helping the purpose of what you like after, like right? buying more time, right? Um, yeah. But actually, so this particular thing, there is three articles, just a a side note, I guess. We're going to put this actually on all of these because we're touching on all the different topics. But Carl has um, written three guest posts on Happy Dog Training, all about rattlesnakes uh some about rattlesnakes vaccines some comparing vaccines to avoidance training and then the rattlesnake poisons and, and, and toxins and so forth so all the things we're touching in this podcast on There's guest posts from carl and all of the this specific thing he just mentioned is also in there so we're going to put this podcast um together with those articles um because it just like all fits together nicely but yeah i've, I've, read, I've read this before i did uh the the um the vaccines are not made for the most commonly encountered rattlesnake to begin with. So it's, yeah,
1: it's yeah, right. and so not really going to do the job. It's yeah. just it to me, the risk does not outweigh the possible reward, which is almost nothing.
0: Yeah, if it was protective, would be one thing, but it's really barely doing anything, and what it does is not it can, can be achieved cheaper and, and safer, and doesn't do much. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about avoidance training because that is the answer um because it makes um, it makes your dog a warning system for you and protects your dog from getting bitten, right? So let's talk about that and the way you go about it. And uh you touched on the on the descent approach you're taking, but let's just dive into this a little bit more. Yeah, let me
1: <clears throat> I'll flesh it out a little bit here. Yeah. So if your dog has never been to a rattlesnake avoidance training, completely naive. We yep. introduce them to a large, usually kind of grumpy rattlesnake. And most dogs will walk up and put their face right into it. And mm-hmm. so we do use the shock collar. We do keep it as low as we possibly can, but we give them that. And the stimulus of the snake and the shock is enough. Um, yep. On real yep. sensitive dogs, we just use the pager, the vibrate, and it works. So it just mm-hmm. depends on the breed. <clears throat> the next thing we do is we'll go through several scent stations. And the first one is pretty potent, okay, because we want them to pick up right away. Mm -hmm. But each successive station gets more and more sand, less and less substrate. The reason is is because we want to not only have them in tune with it, we're trying to build distance at Mm -hmm. at the same time. So obviously, the farther away you are from the snake, the less odor there's going to be. Our ultimate goal is the first year to get them at least five feet and then second year, hopefully 10. Mm -hmm. So after we've done the scent stations, we have a baby rattlesnake. I know the dog cannot see that. So we want them to use their Jacobson's organ that we talked about Mm -hmm. to find that. They don't need to see it. And the crucial reason that we do this is if your dog is running through the field as i already said rattlesnakes will freeze they're not going to be rattling or something your dog comes plowing through the field especially hunting dogs yeah by the time they see and hear it they've already gotten bitten so you have a lot of these trainers out there they they want a couple sound stations and they'll have one scent station one lady has a stuffed baby rattlesnake at the end what is that <laughs> um, and then you know, all, all this nonsense. But the problem is, is that if you do not tap into that bumeral nasal system, you've got nothing. So we've had people that I I remember one lady in specifically, I felt so bad for her. So she had done this dog training with another company in five years in a row and paid a substantial amount for it, much more than we were charging. And so My son was walking the dog towards our first sense station, which is really potent. So if the dog had caught on from this other five years of training, it would not have gone near that, but it put its nose right in it. And of course I had to zap it right away, um, which just stunned me. So I said to Zach, my son, I said, why don't you take it over there? See if it'll put its face right in the rattlesnakes. Uh, I couldn't believe it. The lady, of course, was flaming hot and I don't blame her. So we had to just redo the whole thing. Um, You know, it's just and it's sad because when you pay out that much money every year after year after year with ours, you do it twice. You're not getting them out of the car the third time. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And so the only reason that that could be is we're tapping into the physiology of both the snake and the dog. We know what, I know what's going on with the snake in the wild. I know how they're going to act. Mm-hmm. I also studied up on the dogs and, you know, we got it down pretty good. We've had no one that we've done has taken their dog out somewhere and got bit that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. So no, I, I
0: believe it from my, just from my experience, that's what we're talking because I'm, I know, I know, how reliable that is just based on what well, i've seen my own dogs so
1: um yeah and i get that a lot from a lot of dog trainers veterinarians and stuff there they don't tend to they stop sending them to other people because yeah they yeah. know mine works but that yeah. the others aren't quite to par we'll put
0: it. i i personally i don't do rattlesnake training myself i send everybody to you uh, um, yeah. and uh, you're know, my newsletter once or twice a year so it's it's just the way to go. Anybody wants to rattlesnake avoidance training, I send them right to your website. Um, so let's, let's let's tap. Let's uh, um, add a little bit to that. So you're using shock colors. I'm just gonna put my dog trainer head on here for a moment. I know some people are they don't like shock but that's the point. Your dog doesn't like it either, and that's the whole concept. We're teaching the dog approaching that thing that smells like this little in the ground, that is a bad idea. Don't do that. And we're teaching him that'll hurt you out getting bitten by a rattlesnake and dying on the trail. So that's the application there. If anybody objects to that, they have to like answer, have have some questions to answer in my mind because it's protecting the dog's lives. I mean, this is not, this is what it's about. It's about teaching the dog don't approach something that would literally
1: kill you. So yeah. And you don't have in. to get cra- you don't have to get crazy with it no, a lot of the people that do this rattlesnake training they they want to see the dog do a backflip yeah, that's garbage so awesome. that's total yeah. garbage I want as little shock as possible because I want him to keep learning if I shock him too hard he might shut down and I'll get nothing out of it you know yeah. so yeah. you gotta you gotta use your brain with this and then of course you and I discussed um, amusingly. Uh, this positive reinforcement rattlesnake avoidance training. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. share your thoughts on that.
0: So I mean, yeah, so let me just like prime this a little bit, because not everybody has probably seen this. But this pops up quite regularly now. It's become more more frequent I guess. Um And it's usually these uh, Australian chaperones or border collies in this yard. There's this gigantic snake lying somewhere on a ledge and the dogs are not approaching it. And see it look, positive reinforcement rattlesnake avoidance training. So, I mean, first of all, reinforcement and avoidance are not words that really go together well. So teaching a dog to avoid something by reinforcing something around that is probably not the way to go. You want them to actually not approach this. But just because you see a couple of dogs maybe not approaching something doesn't prove that that was a valid approach to training any dog out there and create reliability in a large dog population. So, right. risk my dog's safety to whatever that approach was. I want my dog to learn. Don't approach that. That's a bad idea. That's a better teaching philosophy when it comes to things that will actually kill you. So, and that's and what that's about,
1: right? So, as you brought out, it's mostly border collies and Australian yeah. shepherds. Guess what? They're also my best clients because yeah. a border collie is considered the perfect mix between wolf instinct. <laughs> and dog learning Mm. and the australian shepherds number two and so here you have the best dogs in the world and because most of them probably do agility training or whatever they're doing with them right they're they're used to that positive reward maybe the ball or whatever um but here's the problem okay a border collie and a australian shepherd they see that big snake in the middle of the field and you say no well of course they're not going to go near it anyway they're, uh, I find that border collies right away, the first time they see a snake, and they're just like, whoa, 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 you know? So, I mean, I could do them in a bathtub, and they'd be successful, you know what I'm saying? So that's not a real good test. So mm-hmm. I challenge someone that does that in Southern California. I said, I'll tell you what. You bring your dog onto my course, and if it passes, I'll pay you. That's um, a <gasps> lot Guess what? They didn't guess what they did not do. They didn't bring the dog because they know better. This is nonsense. Um, And then I had another guy, he came up, he says, well, I do positive reinforcement. I just want to be able to walk through your course and do this. Well, Mm -hmm. this course, first of all, is if you don't know what you're looking for, you will fail at it. You will not train the dogs, right? You have to actually know what you're looking for in the dog's physiology. So, he's doing stuff and giving him treats for this and that. And I okay. But I, I guarantee you that dog got nothing out of it. Maybe that it'll get a treat if it finds a rattlesnake. It might've got that out of it. But, you know, it's just, you know, and I've talked to even several vets, you know, I said, well, what do you think of this? And they all break up laughing. They said, it's so stupid. You're training your dog to find them. And then you give them a treat. I mean, are you kidding me? You want to, and you brought it out. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, avoidance is the opposite of the uh, positive reinforcement, you know. So they're completely different. Um, And so when I'm training, I don't want the dog to go near that. I want them to back off, you know, and sooner rather than later, you know. So I don't say good boy. You know, yeah. at the end, after the course is over, we do it. Oh, you give them some affection and stuff because it's a stressful course, you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but the shock color to me is the only real way to do it. I, I have seen some videos on this positive reinforcement for rattlesnake avoidance. I just look at it and laugh. Come on. You yeah, it's
0: fundamentally flawed in its whole approach. I mean, r- I have, I have podcasts and people have probably listened to this as they, as they get to this as a reinforcement podcast, there's a punishment podcast, there's all kinds of um, things. And the approach that in the, in the foster community is usually taken with this kind of stuff is the differential reinforcement route and differential reinforcement has its time and place. And there's wonderful things you can do with that, but rattlesnake avoidance training, isn't it? So when you reinforce anything, reinforcement is about teaching the dog to do something, whatever it is. But yeah. reinforcement is about encouraging behavior and doing things. While punishment is about discouraging behavior and not doing things. So teaching a dog not to do something needs to be done in a way that produces a safe outcome. Don't chase that car, don't chase that motorcycle, don't pursue that rattlesnake, don't chase that mountain lion, but whatever. <laughs> so it's like right. it's doing so- not doing something that keeps you alive you just have to take the route that will result in a reliable outcome to that end, um, no matter what your personal preferences may be. Nobody wants to go and shock dogs with, with shock dogs. Nobody really enjoys doing that. That's not the point. No the point is we need to you not get bitten by a rattlesnake, stay alive, and not die. That's the point, and that's exactly goal. That 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 has even a debate. I find personally a little disturbing because it's life and death. It shouldn't shouldn't be, but apparently it is. Um oh right, let's move on from that. So the um the approach that you're taking is obviously creating an avoidance response. And I personally seen so like when we first spoke, I forgot that was so long ago. I think the first time I've seen you do it, that that shot colour was actually at a level two or four. And it wasn't one that had ten levels, one with a hundred levels. And uh, your your team had it like or something like super, super low. Like I couldn't even feel this, but the dog will. I said it was enough to accomplish the outcome. And with some dogs is going to be higher, and some dogs is going to be lower. But it's not about as you said about the dog just making backflips and flipping out and losing his shit. It's it's about well, now we have to market explicit, I guess. <laughs> um, it's like losing his mind and. Um, It's about just teaching the dog to avoid this thing because it's an unpleasant thing to approach. And that's what you're doing.
1: That's simply it. And there are a lot of people that do the rattlesnake avoidance training. They turn it up too darn high. Yeah. So the dog is so stressed out. Did he really learn anything? Yeah. You know, the lower you can keep it, the more effective your training is going to be. Now, there are breeds where you do have to turn it up. Huskies, for obvious reasons, they're working dogs they have a thick neck with lots of you know um so you have to turn a little higher but you know most dogs we do police dogs two and a half is a hard correction or 25 depending on your brand what brand you're using well if that's a hard correction on a police dog well uh why am I going to hit a poodle with 50 it doesn't make sense (laughs) you know it's just you know there's a lot of nonsense (laughs)
0: I think it's maybe human mortality more helps more, right? This is great. Let's go higher. works even better. And that's not even good. So like, just the studies on this kind of stuff in terms of intensity, they'll tell you the exact opposite, just like you. Well, once the dog knows this could be here, ah, lower is just fine. You don't have to keep going up. That's that's silly. That's really not smart for any type of physical um aversive tool no matter what you don't want to keep going up at all you just
1: want the dog to learn stop and, the- and a lot of times like if you do border collies or something after the first shot you switch to vibrate and it does the same thing yeah which so also
0: it, makes perfect sense because once the dog knows it could be higher lower usually doesn't make than-
1: any difference what well, you used i like to use the least amount yeah. of you know to because uh, i don't want the dog to freak out i want it to learn. So. Exactly. You
0: can't overload the system with too much stress. It's not our fault. Exactly. Cool. Good. So, um, what else would you like to add about rattlesnake? I think we touched on all the things we had previously, um, discussed, but well, what else did, did we forget something or you want to add something that we haven't mentioned oh, yet? One
1: thing I will do want to yeah. add yeah. is that after a rattlesnake avoidance training thing, the best thing to do is take your dog home and mm-hmm. let it rest. Because it's a stressful course, they'll go home, they might take a nap, and while they're dreaming, they're reinforcing. The second thing is never take your dog up and point to a snake to see if it worked. If anything, you reinforce by pulling it away. You know, most of our dogs, 90% of them, they're gone. You know, they don't want nothing to do with it. But in the case of some stubborn ones, you know, even if it's just a gopher snake still, just pull it away. So it reinforces, if you're afraid of it, he's going to say, Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I want this, you know, the, I, I have owners. Well, can I, after they're all, all done the course, well, can I walk them through now? No, I don't have a shock collar on them and you'll undo what I just did. Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, there's just a little bit of stuff like that. And um, another thing that I would add is that, you know, if you Out walking on a trail and you see a rattlesnake, you know, you take two steps back, walk around, you're good to go. They're not going to come after you. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I I personally encountered a couple. Um, I wasn't with my dogs at the time, but yeah, they'll leave you alone if you leave them alone and don't don't pose a threat to them. I step over them. I mean, like, like straight over them, let's go around them.
1: Yeah. I was on some
0: pretty narrow where there wasn't much room, but it still wasn't the problems.
1: You know, most people bitten each year are either trying to catch them or kill them. You don't want to get bit? Don't touch them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so but you, you actually you touched on something that I think is generally not appreciated enough because we see this in training a lot. It's not just rattlesnake training related. Once a dog has gone through a lesson, let it be your lesson or any other lesson, even the things we teach and service dogs, whatever, you can go through a lesson and you can see a dog even having a hard time maybe not picking up or you don't see him making progress in a session. And it just like seems is kind of stuck there. But then you stop, pause, come back the next day. And the dog masters that task like a champion. He just had time to integrate these circuits into his head and just like become more fluent and think about it. And it's exactly how it is with us. So when, when we learn something, let's say you learn how to play the piano, you learn how to play a symphony, whatever, you have a hard time with a passage and you're like, I can't it I can't get over it, can't get over it, can't get over it. Next day you come, no problem. And so it's just like sometimes your brain just, yeah, sometimes, often your brain just needs a break. Uh, and it's like sleep on it and come back to it. And you will be surprised <laughs> how this actually starts. Uh-oh. And it's the same, what you just outlined. let the dog rest and then,
1: yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you this happened. This is true. Um, one time we were, we did a um, rattlesnake avoidance training and we had this one dog that I didn't think did very well at all. Yeah. Well, the yeah. following year we're up there and we're doing a TV spot and the dog that they bring is that one. I thought, Oh, this is going to look good. But actually the dog did fantastic. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, <clears throat> a lot of people will want you to, well, can you do it one more time? Can you do it one more time? No, you, you don't need that. You know, yeah. you go through the course, be done with it, take your dog home, let him rest, you know, yeah. or walk it off a little bit or whatever. Uh, and then he'll be fine. She will be fine, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, don't, there's no, you know, there, you don't overdo anything, you know, it's just not good. Yeah. Um, you're putting them through stress. So, all, the all more it is
0: possible, right? All right. And if you that push too
1: hard, they're not going to learn. They're going to shut down. Yeah. Because they don't know what you want. They'll start, you'll see them, they'll start getting confused. And, you know, they'll just, they're not getting anywhere further. You know, you're just, so if I see them stressing out, if it's halfway through the course, I'll give a free voucher because I'll stop mm-hmm. and say, here, just come to our next clinic and we'll finish it out. Yeah. And that is so much more effective than trying to push them through.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, you have to know when to stop. And sometimes, yeah, you
1: can't, yeah, you can't, if you overdo it, the dog learns nothing.
0: And I think that's also, I mean, it's us. We have, our, we have these ideas of what we want to see and what we want to accomplish. and think we can do more. We need to respect what our dogs can do and every dog's different. Some dogs can power through and then for hours and hours, and then you do something really complicated and they can't think anymore after like 20 minutes. They're like, well, normally you can go longer, yeah, but this is hard. So I, <laughs> this is, just gets me worn out. I can't can't process it.
1: Um, it's interesting I, that as a trainer. You bring up twenty minutes. That's where we've decided. That's like the maximum we can do. Yeah, around twenty, maybe twenty-five minutes. After that, it goes right downhill.
0: Yeah. Right. So this, I mean, the way dog trainers work varies widely i mean i think the most common thing is probably pull the dog out for five minutes five times a day or three times a day or something like that um that seems to be the most common approach i don't take that approach personally i work the dog until the dog shows me he's done and then we'll take a break and then we'll do another session later in the day and that's it so but the dog works as long as the dog can work and the longer i have him the longer he can because he builds up stamina and resilience he can do more yeah um, obviously, what you do is a more targeted, narrow application-specific session. It's, a, it's different from like what we do in service talks and board, board and train stuff where we have right. time. Um. But he, there's one other thing I think that's um, maybe also interesting in this context. This is something I discussed with uh, my mentor and friend, Ivan, at some point, the training course I've taken. I think I mentioned it in one of the calls that we had is just because you don't see progress in a moment in a session with a dog doesn't mean there isn't any or the dog isn't learning anything just because it's not visual or visible in that moment doesn't mean that there's no learning taking place. There is learning taking place. It just takes a bit to get to what you actually want to see. Um, but repetition and things like that, the same that you may not see like with this is dark, you may not see the progress in the first round or after five minutes or 10 minutes, the dog gets too tired. But that was learning taking place. He may need a little bit more, but it's not that it was worthless. It's just not visible to us just yet. It's just important to realize the dog's learning something. Um, We may not have gotten to the end stage of the lesson yet. We may have to revisit it, but it's not that it was worthless. It is never worthless.
1: Well, in our case, because most people are used to seeing their dogs do backflips and go through all this nonsense, yeah. and avoid an obvious rattlesnake on a sidewalk when mm-hmm. they're looking at our course they're thinking are these guys ripping me off you know because if you don't know what you're looking for the exact yeah. way that the dog's gonna you don't know that your dog's learning you have no idea yeah. um, and in fact we had a guy in san clemente he was walking by and he said all right i'll try it so we mm-hmm. went through the course and you could tell he's sitting there thinking he got ripped off he comes mm-hmm. out down the path there and there's a lot of rattlesnakes out there um and uh he says his dog was kind of running through the weeds jumped up about 10 feet or something and he went over and looked and couldn't believe there was a rattlesnake there he told us that story in front of the dog park with everyone lift uh listening that's wow is that a profitable <laughs> clinic <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was good <laughs> but that but i think what you touched on is it's like the this is the problem we have with like the social media culture now right everything has to be flashy everything has to look extreme or like super cool or and there's like there's a great quote for michael ellis on dog training that i love and it's, it's just it's this good dog training is undramatic and it doesn't look that flashy all the time. It doesn't look all that exciting. Good training is often not that thrilling to watch. The outcome will be thrilling to watch, but the process may not always be thrilling to watch. It's not a dramatic event to teach a dog to not attack other dogs. If it's a dramatic event, you're doing the wrong thing. It doesn't have to be a dramatic event to learn to live the rattlesnake alone with backflips. That's not a good lesson. That would no. make a video for Instagram, but it wouldn't be good for the dog. Right. So
1: that's the social media. And so to most people, you know, the other courses, you know, they have the big rattlesnake and they have this sound and they have a scent station that's utterly worthless. Um, And then they recall and, you know, it looks exciting. Ours kind of boring. The dog, you know, you see the big snake in the beginning. That's exciting to the people. But what about all the scent stations? And the truth is, those sense stations are the most important part. Yeah, yeah, they're not dramatic. They're not flashy. You know, they're piles of dirt, basically. But it's the most crucial element, you know, because the dog will never pass the final station with that baby if it doesn't get those. So, you know, the big snake, that's great. Well, I could teach anything to avoid that, (laughs) except myself, apparently.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you love snakes.
1: You,
0: uh, yeah, uh, we, we we could not share a house. Uh, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't yeah. have tea for your favorite creature. So I'm not. An, I'm not a snake person at all. But I know they're your thing. That is
1: perfect. Yeah, if you looked around my house right now, you probably wouldn't want to be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you you uh, you told me. I <laughs> uh, probably wouldn't want to sleep there. <laughs> you, you're you're uh, not a fan of snakes. But that's what we have you. We need people who are fans of snakes and can teach us all about them and help our dogs avoid them. So, um, anything else you'd like to add?
1: Oh, I'll well, just check us out, animaliaherp.com. Uh, there's lots of articles on there that you can read through. Um, especially if you're gonna come to one of our clinics, we encourage people so that they know what they're looking at. <laughs> you know, this is like you pointed out, it's not dramatic or anything, but it's important. And the people that actually read the articles, when they're watching, they, they'll see it. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I see that.
0: Yeah. yeah, great, awesome. Yeah, so as I said, we have three articles from Carl on our website, uh, uh, sponsored posts, no sponsored, they're like uh, written, written by Carl. And uh, the link to Anomalia Pipitofona is on the bottom or in these articles. It will also be at the bottom of this podcast. And it's also regularly in our newsletter. I was just in the last one. Um, probably putting it in the next one because we're still in the beginning stages. you have clinics all across the state? I know you're also branching out into, was it Texas or Arizona? was Texas, Yeah, right? well,
1: we do Texas, we do California, we do Baja, California. Um, yeah. I'm wanting to get over to the East Coast, into Georgia um, and start doing it there, maybe South Florida as well. Um, you know, because um, <clears throat> what I find is that most people that do this, Quite frankly, they do it wrong. So mm-hmm. when people start using us, then we start getting all the recommendations. And because of the name, Animalia Herpetofauna, what most people tell me is, "Yeah, my friend said find the one the website that you can't pronounce. That's the one to use." <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, that, that, that'll do it. Right. So. Um, when you do these clinics how do you find the locations and properties can people apply hey i got this huge thing and we got a bunch of neighbors here oh chose- yeah
1: we we get or- that a lot um mm-hmm. we just got one for that we're going to be doing for uh hollywood hills um they a don- uh, dog and gun club and so um they have this property out there um I also, if I need a new area, I'll go find a trailhead or a park or something. Mm -hmm. And we just set them up. So, But we've, now we're at the point where we get so many calls for people wanting to do clinics. I haven't had to look for a place to put one in a couple years because of it. Because now we just, I mean, I've had two calls already this week. The one for Hollywood Hills and another one for Chino area. It's Mm -hmm. like you know, we just keep getting calls. Hey, can you do one down here? Can you do one there? Well, where can we put it? Yeah, oh, we'll use my yard. Okay. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, and I think the last clinic I was at was, uh, was your son. Do uh, you have two sons or you have one son and was a friend or was it?
1: Uh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, probably oh, Zach son. and Randy or something.
0: Yeah, Zach, Zach was there. Yeah. So Zach and Randy. So it wasn't even you last time. So your son's doing the same thing. So it's really
1: um Well, my son out. helped me start it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember. It's
1: great. Yeah. Well, he, he learned how to do dog training from a dog trainer. He was doing obedience training. So, and he's worked with snakes his whole life, obviously look at that. Yeah. So, I mean, for him, it's natural.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations on the business growth. So it's, uh, it's going well.
1: Good to Yeah, hear. it is actually.
0: Yeah. Good to hear. You deserve it. You're doing excellent work.
1: Oh, okay. I appreciate
0: that. Oh yeah, definitely. No, you, you deserve it. Absolutely. Your your training, for rattlesnake training, is the best I've seen. I've seen all much. So I send everybody your way. That's why I did this interview. That's why I reached out to you to do it because.
1: Oh I, yeah.
0: I, I know what you're doing works. That's
1: that's the key thing.
0: Okay, cool. You have anything else to add, or are you? No, that's about it. You
1: know, okay we've covered awesome. quite a bit. It is.
0: <laughs> Yes, we did, but I don't not even know how long we talked, but uh, excellent. So wonderful. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, this was super informative um, for everybody who's listening. Great information on Rattlesnake, Rattlesnake Avoidance Training, and the links on how to schedule a training for your dog will be in the show notes um, and Carl's website as well and check out his articles. There's lots of good stuff to read about rattlesnakes and poison and venom and everything you need to know to keep yourself and your dog safe. See you again next
1: time. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.